welcome, welcome to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. It's Wednesday, it's high noon here at 21st in Florida. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I will be joined soon by LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, also looking forward today to a call from old dumb face himself, Steve Poggi. Gonna be calling in from those eastern hinterlands. Gonna ask him about that eclipse. I didn't even pay attention on Monday. I didn't give two fucks about the eclipse. I, I was hanging out inside my house. It was cloudy anyways. Oh, let's all stare at the sun. Someone had a good joke about that last night that... Uh, something about 45 staring at the sun and looking intelligent or something. Anyways, I have no idea what's going on in the world. I was at the layover last night. That was fun. Uh, I have a new joke I'm very excited about. Might or might not be sharing that with you today. Depends. You can come see me tonight if you want to brainwash or whatever stupid open mic I'm going to do. Maybe I won't do an open mic tonight. Maybe I'll just not do comedy. Wouldn't that be weird? Uh, I did have a good, pretty good set last night, though. I think I'm having a tough time remembering what happened last night because I didn't eat dinner. And, uh, you know, if you eat dinner, then five IPAs over five hours probably won't make you as drunk as it made me. So I was, and I guess, so this morning, I there's a big mess in my kitchen. And I'm like, Jonathan, did you cook? And he said, no, you cooked. And I said, but I didn't eat. He said, no, no, we came home and you were cooking and then you fell asleep. And so I didn't get to eat the food that I cooked because I'm dumb. So dumb. All right, latest news. This is exciting. Uh, Actually, it's pretty old news. Uh, It still says President Trump says he will declare a national emergency on the opioid crisis, but he hasn't done it yet. Hasn't done it yet. Looks like we don't really have any new news this week from Drug Policy Alliance. Huh. Bummer. Like, and I'm, I'm terrible because I, I didn't, uh, I didn't pre-do anything for today. Uh, how about this? Drug Policy Alliance blog. The kids are all right. Colorado adolescents did not increase marijuana use in the year after retail sales. Alrighty there. But what about the kids? Most of us drug policy reformers have been asked this question or one like it by a well-meaning adult concerned that marijuana legalization sends the wrong message to our youth. And we get it. People worry that legalization could lead to young people starting to use marijuana at an earlier age or making it more socially acceptable for them to use. A study published on August 17th with data out of Colorado adds to the growing body of literature, which could allay some of these fears. The researchers were curious about whether the onset of retail marijuana sales in Colorado in 2014 had an impact on adolescent youth's attitudes toward marijuana and access to marijuana. They analyzed responses from over 20,000 public middle school and high school students who completed the Healthy Kids Colorado survey and compared their 2013 responses to their 2014 responses in order to detect any possible changes. So what did they find? 
There was no sudden increase in reported weights, rates of marijuana use after retail sales began in 2014. Rates remained essentially the same as 2013. The portion of adolescents who thought that smoking marijuana was harmful also did not change. The majority of the sample, over 60%, continued to believe it was wrong for young people to use marijuana. And although slightly more students said they could easily get access to marijuana in 2014, the researchers found that having a marijuana store within two miles of the school could not explain this increase in perceived access. Interestingly, this study's results diverge from research in the areas of alcohol and tobacco, which has long suggested that stores which sell these products close to schools are associated with the increased use among students. It didn't appear to be the case for marijuana in Colorado in 2014. As the country continues to weigh the benefits and risks of marijuana legalization, studies such as these tracking the impact on adolescent attitudes and behaviors are critical. We know that prohibition has been harmful to youth, particularly young people of color. With less risk of criminal justice involvement and no increase in rates of youth, for now anyway, it seems the kids are all right indeed. Hey! I am joined by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth. Yeah, running in. Hey. What's up, oh, look, you got your little running outfit on in the whole deal. Yeah, there I, it is. I have to go back home and take care of some business. Are you not working today? I am working later. Oh, okay. I've just been, it's been an exhausting weekend. Yeah. Way, so. Wait, what, 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 what happened? I, well, Saturday, which, by the way, how did it go? It looked like it went fabulous. Um, you know, it's really hard for me to tell because I was in the booth the whole time and I couldn't see anything. Uh, uh, Jonathan was kind of my eyes and ears on the street. I was communicating with him and he was communicating with people out there, but I was just trying to mix the bands. Uh, and then in between, I was setting everything up and taking down and like keeping everything organized. So I think people had fun. I didn't. I didn't have any fun all day at all. But I think other people did. And then the, the comedy day show, as I knew it would be, was a total bust. We only had three people come, so we made thirty bucks. Yeah, uh, nobody came. Even the even the comedians that didn't even stay. They performed and then got the fuck out of here. It was a total bust. I know they were supposed to stay, but it was like, nope. I mean, nobody. Three people came. And that was it. And then they even left. They wa- they walked out after a while. It was a bummer. It was oh, a bummer. It was all, it was all bad. But it's you know the thing is this that it wasn't my project, and it's just one of those things where I should always make them my project. I mean I I let someone else have it as their project, and they sucked their balls off on it. They didn't do any promotion. They didn't no. They didn't email. Like I was doing more promotion than they were. And then then when they were here, they wanted oh well it was someone else's fault. And I'm like. I didn't even say it, but the blame squarely falls on the person who put it together and didn't do anything. And like, it was uh, it was a bummer. And oh, the thing man. for me was a bummer is that I'd been here since 10.30 in the morning, setting up, and, setting up and doing the thing all day and working my ass off. And I got to go have, I cleaned up at 6.30 because there was another show in here from six to eight and I had to come back at eight. So I went and had one beer at Bender's and it was like the only fun part of my day. And I knew when I was coming back here that nothing was gonna, it was gonna be complete waste of everyone's time. And it was, it was a complete waste of my time. And then I had to sit and run the board for that too. And I was like, nobody's here. What's the point? I mean, it was a fine comedy show and I did a set, but it didn't even, 
it was pointless and stupid. This is like the bummer of my Saturday, which it started out okay because at work, where I work at, we had our fourth year anniversary. Oh. And so, which I end up not, I got there at 10.30 in the morning. I didn't end up leaving until 8.30, 9 o'clock. Oh my goodness. So my plan was to- Were you working? Yeah, I was working. Oh man. So my plan was to come down here. And then I had some of the, my coworkers like, oh yeah, that's the place where you do comedy. And I'm like, yeah. So yeah. I had like four people that were going to come with me and we end up staying later. And then we're just like, well, I don't, by that point, I'm like, well, I think basically everything's over by that point, 8.30, 9 o'clock. So I'm like, fuck. Yeah. It's well, it was, we were here with that stupid show. It was really dumb. That stupid. Was it that name, the name of it was that stupid yeah, show. Yeah, sure. Well, the, but, the, the point is just that I didn't, I mean, it was just more for me to do and it, and it, I just didn't absolute waste of my time I could have been doing I would have I could have been doing anything else other than being here yeah I could have it was <laughs> stupid and dumb and I won't mention any specific names no but names. it just I get so disappointed in other people when they say they're gonna do something and they just completely drop the ball and then they don't even fess up to it then the they try to then they, then they put the responsibility on someone else and say it's someone else's fault and I'm like dude come on this, the, he, like, that's the state we're well, in and everything. Well, right the, now. the thing that was so hard for me is that, you know, no one came to my show last Friday either. Three people came, so, which is which is fine or whatever. But like, I, I'm working to try to get people to come to my Friday show. I was working to try to get people to be on board for the noise pop thing, and so, I, I told them in the beginning, me doing promotion is like spitting into a lake it just doesn't matter because I produce like 25 shows a month so none of the promotion that I'm going to do is going to actually bring people in because I'm constantly promoting things so it's it's kind of the onus is on the person who books the people to say you know book some fucking bringers because although the comedians that came are great comedians but you know Keith D is too big of a comedian to tell anybody that you know it's, it's a stupid thing Okay, it's weird in comedy, you know. Yeah. But you know, if you're on a show, you bring people because you're excited to be on a show. Absolutely. But when people are performing so much or they just came off tour like Keith D, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's not going to do any promotion. That's not his thing. His job is to be funny and to come here and be funny. And I get that. But something that comedians in San Francisco aren't getting is that we're all bringers fucking dicks if you want to have an audience bring the fucking audience tell people that you're performing because I'll tell people I'll tell people I mean, I've been running Fantastics every fucking Friday for five and a half years people know it exists they know where this place is I, I can't for my friends don't want to come anyway if my friends came at least to one a month that's still more than they want to do like my friends are so fucking sick of my jokes and my comedy they don't want to see me do comedy you know seriously like and, and we need these new bringer kids that are excited that like work at Google and have a real job and know people to have them bring the audience. It's just the thing is we're all so delusional and people are like, well, I'm better than that. I'm just supposed to be the talent and then they they have to promote. You're not better than that. You're in fucking San Francisco, you dickbag comedian. Get off your pretentious high horse and realize what's really happening. I don't think the community here is as strong as people think it is. I think it's very self-absorbed, way too self-absorbed. And, you know, I try to bring people out and I try to plug as much as possible whenever I'm like on social media or what have you. And I know I'm guilty of things as well, like not being as, you know, 
on it as constant. I I will take I will but take But when you're in a show, yeah. you tell people. But you like, tell them. I at least try to plug the noise pop thing like on Facebook or something That's like great. all you got all you got to do is hit share. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so it's just like if I'm going through my Facebook feed, I'm like, oh, something at Mutiny, share, yeah, plug. yeah, yeah. You know, it, exactly. That's all, it, that's all it really takes, you know. But I think the fact of the matter is like, not everyone here knows that the comedy, comedy, it's supposed to be a community. It's not just about yourself and just your jokes. If you have to, you have to get your brand out there. And you also, it's all about sharing a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why like, you know, if I am, if I am, especially like open mic, if I am, you know, doing like a shitty set, I'm at least going to stick around for a couple other people's set to see and support. That is unusual. Yeah. And that's the thing. I thought that's just common etiquette. No, not around here. Oh, I force people on the first Tuesday of the month when I run Brainwash. I do a couple things to make people stay. A, I divide the list so that there's two signups so that people can't just sign up and leave and come back and just ignore the whole night. And then I bribe them. Uh, if they stay for more than, if they stay for six or more people uh, besides themselves inside, not outside talking, but inside being a good audience member, I give them drugs. <laughs> I give them edibles. No, absolutely. That's all it takes. That's all it yeah. takes. No, I just tell them, I'll, I'll give you an edible. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's no skin off my nose. They're easy for me to make, you know, so. That works. Hey. And I, works, I'm not works, below or above or whatever. I will bribe people. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, seriously, I will bribe people to stay. Because that's the thing is that comedians, we are our own audience. If there are seven of you on a show, that made me so angry. And I'll name names on this one. Last Friday, Cedric Drake. Asked to be on the Hell Hat show, right? Comes, doesn't tell anybody. His girlfriend comes and stands by the door because she doesn't want to pay or come in or whatever. So she stands by the door. He finishes his set and he goes, oh, you want to get out of here? And they leave. Him and his girlfriend leave. <laughs> Wait, she and you know, here's the other thing. He didn't even do that well. He's not even that funny. Like I gave him a space on my fucking show and he doesn't even have the, the ball. He doesn't even stay. He gets the fuck out of there. Fuck you, Cedric Drake. I'll say it. You are. You're too good to stay for my fucking show. Really? You're too good to support the other people. You saw there were only three fucking real people in here, but you're too good for it. You can't stay for a goddamn hour. You can get your fucking girlfriend to sit down for someone other than yourself. You selfish piece of shit. Never booking him again. Never booking him again. He asked to be on the show. This is that entitlement thing that we talk about here. Like it, it goes beyond like economics and what have you. It goes beyond class. It's, well, this is a form of class. Well, I mean, it was. It's, it's classless. It's classless when you come in and you ask to be on my show and then you don't stay for the other people. Oh, you want to go out and have a drink with your girlfriend? Get your girlfriend. Fuck. Put her ass in the goddamn seat and you support other people. It's, it's, he had a he bombed too. He had a shitty set and it was Hell Hat and he wasn't even hell hat's the easiest show to do it's the easiest show to do we give you the shit you just have to be funny i i was pissed i was i was only pissed just because how unsupportive when you know there's only three real audience members in there and there are seven people on the show sit your motherfucking ass down at least i mean i'm i'm even giving it benefit of the doubt because when i first started coming here i would complain a little bit about like 
why did why isn't anyone sticking around and you know watching other people because you actually learn from other people too right exactly you know and I'm not talking about stealing jokes either I'm just seeing like how people different different sure. varieties of comedy and what have you that you you know see what's out there especially in the SF demographic I, I learn from Joe Gorman every time I see him I, I right. always learn something from Joe um, and the thing is like now I'm just like well at least have some common courtesy and stay for like at least two or three well, more well Andy people. came late These, he gave me a fucking Facebook message I'm running 15 minutes late he comes he does his set his girlfriend stands by the door and then he leaves fuck you Cedric Drake seriously I'll say it again it's just disrespectful to me it's disrespectful to other comedians it's disrespectful to the venue that to is venue. actually actually having your ass you know having you put on stage right you know and the thing is it's not the it's not really hard it really isn't and you know the thing is like i said i am guilty i feel like i need to put more effort in but it's kind of hard when you have two fucking jobs right here. right 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 you know well the, the, that, the, the thing excuse. the only the only reason i say it th- uh, this is that he was here and he chose to leave he came late he did his set and then he left it's not an open mic you fuck face it was a showcase have some respect for your fellow comedians. If you're on a showcase, if it's an open mic, fine. Do 12. That's another thing is when people double book my show, fuck you. I booked you so far. One of the people this Friday was like, can I go first? I accidentally double booked myself and blah, blah. And I'm like thinking, well, fuck you. It's my showcase. And you just use my stage time and get the fuck out and go somewhere else. So what you're not going to, that's the thing is when like people don't even bring an audience for themselves and they think they're so great. I'm like, you think I would rather just, knock you off the show right because what it, I could give myself an extra 10 minutes instead of listening to you if you're not gonna if you're gonna come first and then leave well that means you're not gonna have anybody with you so like you're gonna make us all listen to your bullshit and not give us anything back oh I see I see that's how it works people think they're too good here in San Francisco they're lucky to be getting stage time on a fucking Friday agreed highly highly agreed try doing that shit in Chicago the thing is like you know at least they're they're a little bit more supportive and what have you they're you know they're not as like i'm, I'm not even gonna say cutthroat but not as egotistical yeah compared to here because at least out there there are more people funnier <laughs> I mean, well and that's what i heard um one of my buddies moved to new york and he was like in new york everyone is so good like they could all be on tv right now they're all really tight and together and we are delusional we are all fucking delusional and I'm like sweet you're telling it like it is I gotcha preaching the word right preaching the word uh, here we go more more of the- this is how she bribes people yeah, well, uh, this is Trump and Sessions unmask historical links between drug war and white supremacy Ooh, put on your hood President Donald Trump's defense of white nationalist groups in the wake of Charlottesville is shocking, but not really surprising to anyone who has been following his administration. Ooh, they're going to they're going to break it down for us oh, from right. appointing Jeff Sessions as attorney general to his war on immigrants to Im- to his embrace of recently outed strategist and ethno-nationalist ideologue, Steve Bannon, to his efforts to double down on the failed war on drugs, Trump has consistently sought to increase the criminalization and incarceration of people of color. The The history of the U.S. criminal justice policy is the history of white supremacy, and Jeff Sessions is Trump's Bull Connor. Yep. 
Dozens of civil rights groups opposed Trump's nomination of Jeff Sessions to be attorney general. Sessions has a long record of hostility to justice and civil liberties. He was denied a federal judgeship in the 80s because the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee found he had a record of racist statements and actions. A black colleague testified at the time that Sessions referred to him as boy. (gasps) Sessions referred to the NAACP and other civil rights organizations as un-American groups that forced civil rights down the throats of people. This guy is awful. Yeah, this is how racist that. He he even reported to uh, that the KKK thought the KKK was okay until he found out its members smoked pot. This is the guy Trump chose to be the nation's top law enforcement official. Already just six months into the job, Sessions has rolled back decades of criminal justice reform. He has urged prosecutors to seek the highest punishment possible, even in nonviolent drug cases, rolled back efforts to prevent police brutality, increase the use of civil asset forfeiture, the process by which the police can take people's money and property and keep it to themselves without even... Uh, without having to even convict anyone of a crime. We know about that. Mm -hmm. And reinterpreted civil rights laws to be applied as narrowly and rarely as possible. This is a crazy thing, too, about about the, the assets forfeiture and the rights. You know, policemen are our employees. I know. We pay, yeah. They're our they employees. And yet... That's just crazy to me. Just, just to wrap your brain around the concept that they work for us, and yet we let them get away with murder. Literally, 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 literally murdering people. Exactly. It's just crazy Still, to stealing me. Our shit, stealing our shit. Stealing our shit. Murdering people. Like the biggest people. gangsters ever are they the, the, are. the PD. Well, the um, the Wyatt Act has a new song called Robbed by the Cops, and it's it's absolutely true. Yeah. I got robbed by the cops. But they really do. With this asset forfeiture, they can just take your shit for no reason. Uh, Sessions isn't a case of Trump having chosen the wrong person for the job. <laughs> Whenever Trump talks about drugs, crime, and criminal justice, he paints a picture of black and brown communities as violent hellholes that require more police and less protections for civil liberties. For a president who believes that police officers should racially profile suspects and rough them up and torture them, Sessions is the perfect attorney general. His racist past is an asset, not a liability. The war on drugs has a long history of being a cover for racial injustice. The first federal marijuana laws were passed to target Mexicans. Opium laws were passed to target Chinese immigrants. The campaign to ban cocaine painted images of black men using cocaine to woo white women and becoming impervious to bullets. The New York Times referred to them as Negro cocaine fiends. Lest you think this is ancient times, uh, ancient history, police and media still cite marijuana and other drugs as a reason they shoot unarmed suspects. See, for instance, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Keith Lamont Scott, Terrence Crutcher, and Philandro Castile. It's not a coincidence that President Richard Nixon declared an outright war on drugs in 1971, just as the civil rights was making major gains. In Nixon's words, paraphrased by one of his staffers, the whole problem really is the blacks. The key to divide... Uh, the key is to devise a system that recognizes this while not appearing to. Oh. Yeah. 
the blacks. The, the blacks. It would be hard to design a system better at decimating communities of color. Once charged with a drug offense, people can legally be discriminated against in housing and employment and denied student loans and public assistance. If their drug law violation was a felony, they can even be denied the right to vote in some states for life. This is, I mean, it's it's crazy to me that this is true, but this is, this is true. This is, this is real. Uh, there are many reasons to end the failed war on drugs. It is a waste of money. Prohibition doesn't work. Law enforcement should be focused on serious crime, etc. But the rule, uh, the drug war, and punitive criminal justice policies more generally play in perpetuating white supremacy should be at the top of the list. At the very least, policymakers who ignore the issue should be seen as suspect. Racial justice requires massive criminal justice reform. There are many steps Congress can take to undo and repair the damage done by decades of harsh drug laws. A good first start would be eliminating all the Jim Crow-style collateral sanctions. A drug conviction should not result in the denial of housing, employment, education, voting, or other rights and obligations. Ultimately, policymakers have to move beyond using law enforcement to address complicated social issues that treat drugs as health and regulatory issue. Uh, this was written by Bill Piper of the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, this is the world we live in. This is nothing new. This is just the height of it. Right. You know, well, th this whole uh, the the war on drugs and the criminalization and and just perpetuating racism, it, it's all there. And it's it's when when we look at it and we see the history and we see them rolling back and, and keeping the people down. And, but we have to acknowledge this is really happening. Yeah, this is and the thing. This is just like racism is really real. Again, what this ties into, like you know, the whole white white supremacy thing that you know the article mentions. First of all, he came out. Uh, President Chito came out with this campaign calling Mexicans rapists and right, 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 right. So, so he got elected. So yeah, exactly. So when people were shocked that he didn't condemn. Uh, the Nazis or what have you um, on both sides last week me. people are now surprised that oh my gosh you know I think our president is a Nazi sympathizer well you have all this all these links you Jeff sessions all this ties into what we have so you know the fact of the matter that people are surprised or in awe or shocked I mean Jeff sessions was he, the Reagan administration didn't want to nominate him. And the Reagan administration is pretty fucking racist. They're pretty bad. I mean, of all, I mean, the thing, I don't know. It's just. Just say no. It, just say no just was say a no. flawed campaign because yeah. I end up saying yes. Yeah, I mean, too. I say we should just say no to racism. Yeah. Just but you know, the yes. thing, he had the campaign or mm. his campaign rally in Phoenix last night. Which was like, oh my God! I watched some of the um, excerpts from his speech. It wasn't even a speech. It was just him ranting like a six-year-old and like an old, old, crazy, goofy man. Like th this fool, he there's something wrong with him. I'm I'm not kidding. Like that, the, that man does not have the devil in him or what? Well, so here's the thing. The reason that Trump still has not declared the opiate crisis a national emergency is that they would have to put money into harm reduction. And the only thing that I gleaned from last week's 
major uh, press conferences dealing with the opiate crisis is that they want to use it to roll back our civil liberties. Because they, the only thing I got out of it is that they're saying, well, we should... We should change the laws surrounding uh, patient confidentiality because so many kids might be heroin addicts and no one knows. So we should open up their records to their parents. So basically what you're going to do when you see the opiate crisis, rather than helping with harm reduction, what you're going to do is actually lessen our civil liberties even farther. You're going to take away our privacy even yeah, more. Right to pri- privacy. Right to privacy. Exactly. And so they're saying the whole, our entire... If they roll that back, if that's what the opiate crisis does, is that now we have more, we have less privacy. We have, and, and we know that they want to strip away our privacy. We know. They've already done it. They can access all of our emails. They can access all of our records. Well, this ties into, like, the voting, right? You know, they have that, uh, that uh, panel of uh, people saying, like, you know, they're trying to get different states to uh, open uh, voters' um, information and what have you. You know, like, uh, you know, things that they post on social media, their social security number. You know, just common folk like you and I and others out there listening. You know, this is what they're trying to do. And even, uh, and this ties into the opioid crisis, the drug uh, policy, everything. All this comes full circle to what this administration is trying to do. No, but there's... Even the racists out there, you're not going to benefit either. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's the factor. It's just like you have all these white supremacists thinking like, we got our leader out there. We got our dude. By the way, he's, you're not going to benefit. Are, now, let's, no are you thinking benefit. about, are you thinking about going on Saturday to Chrissy Field? I've been, it. I've been, I've been having this conversation with lots of different people. I myself am not going out because... I feel like... Give them more attention. Right. I feel like this is their opportunity to have a voice. And just if no one shows up and we all go like, fuck you, we're not even listening to you. I mean, that's the thing is if if we go and we just stand there and don't say anything, it's still giving them an audience for their voice. True. So what I like, the, the things that I'm very into, uh, there are two of them. One of them I've heard is that if you have a car, I don't have a car, but if you have a car, Go out there at five in the morning and take all the parking spaces. If everyone in San Francisco who had a car could leave, you know, who has a garage or whatever, that's the way to do it. Because they can't park. Where are they going to park? If if we if if we just have people park their cars in every available parking space all over Chrissy Field, so that they have nowhere to park, that's A. And then B is they're asking people to have their dogs shit on Chrissy Field and not pick it up. So if all the dogs shit on Chrissy Field and no one picks up their dog shit, then they basically get to stand and march in dog shit, which I think is hilarious. The significance of that. The significance of that is that their message is awful and shitty and 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 backward and and terrible. I, I just racism. I don't. I, I just don't understand it. It's I'm mad at the. I'm blaming this other person. Because their skin color or their religion or their sexual orientation, which has nothing to do with me. It's nothing. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with It doesn't benefit my life. But but it's what people, like, because their religion, what they choose, how they choose to, you know, praise the divine or not, whatever. Man, I don't give a fuck if you light candles in your closet. I mean, I care if you sacrifice cats. Please don't ever sacrifice cats. But as long as you're not, like, hurting anybody, man... 
pray to whatever. Pray to your cat. Pray to Jesus. Well, pray to Allah. My thing about, light some candles. Have a smoothie. I don't give a fuck. Uh, my <laughs> thing about white supremacy is the fact of these people are so stupid that they don't know of a thing called genetics. And <laughs> genetics is a tricky motherfucker. Well, and the more you mix genetics, the more healthy you become. Like when you, their whole thing is whites, the whites got to stay with the whites and the Negroes got to stay with the, let the Chinese stay with the Chinese. But, but biodiversity is what keeps us alive and healthy and evolution continuing. That's that word evolution that scares people. Biodiversity is important. Look at, look at dogs. Look at all the German shepherds. When you breed German shepherds with German shepherds, what do they get? Hip dysplasia. What do they get? Epilepsy. What you breed, you have too many. That's why you want mutts. That's why you want the new Labradoodle. Those things are badass. The standard poodle and a lab mixed together because they're smart and they don't shed. They're great dogs. Um, and those are mammals too, just like us. But when you when you just chocolate labs are great, great dogs, but when you mate chocolate labs with chocolate labs, again, they get hip dysplasia, they get the weird epilepsy, they get certain cancers. But they don't, they're, they're too, they don't even know beyond that. That's the thing. They, I, they don't even understand that, you know, they're trying to take something back that it wasn't even theirs in the first place. Right. So it, it's like talking to... I'm not even going to insult a child and say it's like talking to a child because children know better than these right, people. Absolutely. And you, then they just, and they, and it's impossible to argue with them because they, A, aren't listening and they just, it's They don't not, comprehend well. Right. <laughs> they don't comprehend. It's just this idea, like philosophically though, the idea that we, that we as humans want to blame other people. No personal responsibility. Right. It's like, really you know when you're pointing a finger there's three fingers pointing right back at you so saying that you know it's the it's these it's because of these people right. that ever that america's falling apart well n- no, no it's because of these people it's it's us really that we're right i think i think today's show is going to be about personal responsibility because <laughs> i see where this is going because it seems since we have our fat fuck leader in chief oh. um he doesn't like to take responsibility. Well, he thinks he keeps saying everything's great. This is tremendous. We're going to have a tremendous action uh, because this is a great country and everything we do is great. We are so great that we are going to fight this uh, drug war with, uh, you know, and we're going to win. We're going to win because we're fighting. How? How? How do you please explain the thing? And it didn't work. We already know why. Here, why would you? continue doing that we already know the definition of insanity thank you einstein is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results so we know that the war on drugs didn't work hey you know what else we know doesn't work racism <laughs> i mean economically I, no one benefits <laughs> well i mean i guess they used to because of the whole slavery thing it's really the best way to make money is to not pay your labor well, I, I i mean as a you know well i mean our, easiest way to make well money. cheeto he's notorious for not paying his employees anyways so. right or yeah firing them and, and Hi, creating and, you jobs. know not you know you know, fired. breaking contracts and bankruptcy but you know whatever right but the fact of the matter is just like you know i i do see the point of not going to chrissy phil i i you know that's something i was having a conversation with my friend about that because i've been on the fence too because it's just like you know we we i know what they're about we see what they're about they want this attention they, right they finally they getting a attention. voice they're having a big voice for the first time in 100 well not even 100 years maybe i'll, I'll say if, within the past 10 years i'll give you that sure because they've always been around you know I, it, it's just they got a, you know they got an endorsement for our um 
our uh, Cheeto in chief. Uh, but it, it, it's so funny to me, especially here in the United States where it's supposedly a melting pot. This There's some really crazy stuff in here. I put in Nazi SF, and these are what, what came up. Ooh. How should we protest neo-Nazis? Lessons from German history, San Francisco Chronicle. White nationalists planning rallies in San Francisco and Berkeley. That was from a week ago. Jewish lawyers launch adopt a Nazi campaign <laughs> ahead of SF. Is this interesting or what? Yeah. Uh, mocking adopt a Nazi fundraiser nets sixty thousand dollars. Uh, wow. If if you notice something else, if you just type in white, I think I did. We did this last week. If you just type in white, I think. Um, Nationalist comes like third or fourth down if you just type in white. Right, uh, white chapel SF, white supremacy, white nationalist, white pages. Yep. Yeah, that's what comes right in that right comes, now. Yeah. Wow. So we know what's on everybody's mind. It's on everybody's it's mind. It's on everybody's mind. And then for those white folks who we need more allies, these people are the ones that are making you guys look bad. Because now there are there are people on the other opposite sides, you know, people of color, who are mad at a bunch of white people, because number one, the Republican Party hasn't been condemning these people. They still support our uh, Cheeto in chief. They made a hundred and ten thousand dollars, raised by one thousand seven hundred and sixty-three people in six days. This is crazy. I wish they'd give their money to, to Mutiny Radio. Look at all the people giving $100. Um, to adopt a Nazi? Yeah, let's raise $100 or whatever you can spare for each misguided soul that plans to invade our beloved Chrissy Field and donate it to an organization dedicated to combating extremism here in the United States. Uh, so this is in the wake of the tragic and grotesque events in Charlottesville, an alt-right group has been described as attracting an agglomeration of patriots, including some white nationalists and skinheads, has announced plan they hold a rally in Chrissy Fields on August 26th. The permit says 300 attendees. Uh, so, so they're asking, they're saying, one thing we can do... Uh, it's difficult for decent Americans to decide the right way to respond to these gatherings. Some suggest ignoring them, but ignoring them won't make them go away, and it's important to respond to evil before it grows. Aggressive confrontation, however, leads to more violence, and that's exactly what they want. We must deny them that. But one thing we can do is turn their energy against them by helping to fund their own demise. In 2014, a German town called Wunsiedl got tired of finding itself the site of an annual neo-Nazi march. Fed up with the annual parade, the townsfolk decided on a clever strategy. According to The Guardian, without the marcher's knowledge, local residents and businesses sponsored the 250 participants of the march on November 15th in what it dubbed Germany's most involuntary walkathon. For every meter they walked, 10 euros went to a program called Exit Deutschland, which helps people escape extremist groups. And that's in Germany. Right. We can do this right here in our city. The rally's organizers filed a permit for 300 people. This campaign invites you to donate some amount of money for each extremist who might attend the rally. 
Two cents per attendee is a $6 donation. A dime is 30 bucks. Why not a quarter? That's only 75. Or you can go all in at that dollar attendee and donate 300. All funds will go to the Southern Poverty Law Center, an organization that tracks and combats hateful extremist groups in the United States. Its work is now more important than ever. This campaign is sponsored by the Jewish Bar Association of San Francisco. As lawyers, we are officers of the court. When we join the bar, we swear an oath to defend the Constitution. Lawyers in the Bay Area have been at the forefront of defending citizens' civil rights and defending the principles of equal protection and due process under the law. Jewish Bar Association of San Francisco is proud to support the Southern Poverty Law Center's mission by sponsoring this campaign. Well, that's cool. So they've already raised $110,000 for the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, which is great. I still want to punch a Nazi in the face. Well, and you know, that's exciting too. (laughs) I know it doesn't get me anywhere. I know violence is not the way. But there's been violence done um, against my people for mm. so long. You know, sometimes you, you've had it up to here. Yeah. You know, you, what's going on right now within a lot of communities of color are, are violence. They want us dead. So that's why I don't uh, I don't feel bad of saying like, I want to punch. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it why they think black people are bad. Because I, don't I, get I think it. it's pure envy. I think that's jealousy. I really do. Uh, now, I go I, with that with the gays because... I think that they think that gays are having so much fun because they're having sex for like not procreation or they're just having sex for fun or I honestly think that that's why a lot of people hate the gays is that well, their lives are a lot more fun. I, I, feel, I, I feel the fact of the matter is just like, you know, the, the fact that they feel that we're so inferior, that means they're, they're frightened. You're, you're frightened by us because we are a strong people. We come from kings and queens. Mm. We're the ones that have built uh, Egypt and right, what, the whole you, civilization. Yeah, but every, you know, we we are the, we are the ones. And then on top of that, we also are the ones that built this country uh-huh. with our hands. Yeah, we are the ones that took care of your children. We are the ones that mm. had a strong family bond. We, you know, and the fa- and then you know. Us. And we've been trying to keep you down, and you're still and then, <laughs> strong and, then, and rising up. And then I'll just be a little bit petty compared to how creative we are in our arts and how smart and intelligent we are, and that we are able to build our own schools after the fact of slavery and the Reconstruction. That terrifies them. Right. That terrifies that we can pull through, even though you've held us down for so long, and you have that self-hatred so much, and you feel we're so inferior, because obviously the fear of it the fear of it is that we're not inferior right right that's what you're afraid of that is your fear and now you're using your fear also toward brown people which has always been there right but you're saying that they're coming you're taking your jobs no one's taking your jobs boo boo you just don't want it yeah, no one's that's the problem jobs, you're too lazy right, you're right. the one who's sitting on the government's diet you're the one collecting your your food stamps you have this idea that it's all these brown folk out here taking your jobs and collecting money on the government's dime and having all these babies and all that. When it's actually, you need to take a good look in the mirror, my friend. Yeah. Middle America is a oh, thing. It's not just America, Middle America. It's here. It's here. It's too. here all over the United yeah, States. Absolutely. I know. And then I have, and this, I've talked about this before of how some progressives 
you have a little bit of a white complex yourself because maybe you are for us but some of some especially here in sf have never been around us right right well, it's there's only it's only five percent African American in San Francisco. Right. It's Matthew Banks' joke. Of, Come on, you're not even giving racism a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's only five percent. Exactly. He's the guy from Mississippi. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it, it's true. And you know, and and it comes to the political correctness too. Right. Where everything is just like, don't say that. No, actually, say it, and then let's talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't don't. It's also the same with those liberals who said like you know after Obama was elected, you know we live in a post-racial America. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm colorblind. No, you're no. not. Uh-uh. No, you're not. Mm. I don't care what anyone says. Someone has said some racial slur at some point in time. Nobody's perfect. You know, th- it doesn't mean that you have that hate in your heart. But let's just keep it real with each other. Uh, each other, at, uh, if you're going to be an ally with us. And I'm talking to those liberals out there, especially here. You know, let's just keep it real. Yeah. Well, there's. I'm glad that people are donating to the. In, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on Saturday. I mean, either way. Someone's going to get arrested. Someone's going to get arrested, probably. You know, I don't think it's going to be violent, you know. I hope will. not. I really don't. I really don't like violence. I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what they. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle. They are saying uh, this conversation is an independent and non-profit source of news analysis and commentary from academic experts. Experts, How should we protest neo-Nazis? Lessons from German history. Uh, this is from Lori Marhofer, University of Washington. After the murder of Heather Heyer in Charlottesville, many people are asking themselves what they should do if Nazis rally in their city. All right. Should they put their bodies on the line in counter demonstrations? Some say yes. History says no. Take it from me. I study the original Nazis. We have an ethical obligation to stand against fascism and racism, but we also have an ethical obligation to do so in a way that doesn't help the fascists and racists more than it hurts them. Charlottesville was right out of the Nazi playbook. In the 1920s, the Nazi party was just one political party among many in a democratic system running for seats in Germany's parliament. For most of that time, it was a small marginal group. In 1933, riding a wave of popular support, it seized power and set up a dictatorship. The West rest is well known. It was in 1927, while still on the political fringes, that the Nazi party scheduled a rally in a decidedly hostile location, the Berlin district of Wedding. Wedding was so left of center that the neighborhood had the nickname Red Wedding, red being the color of the Communist Party. The Nazis often held rallies alleys right where their enemies lived to provoke them. The people of Wedding were determined to fight back against fascism in their neighborhood, and on the day of the rally, hundreds of Nazis descended on Wedding. Hundreds of their opponents showed up too, organized by the local Communist Party, and the anti-fascists tried to disrupt the rally, heckling the speakers. Nazi thugs retaliated. There was a massive brawl. Almost 100 people were injured. I imagine the people of Wedding felt they had won that day. They had courageously sent a message. Fascism was not welcome. But historians believe events like the rally in Wedding helped the Nazis build a dictatorship. Yes, the brawl got the media attention. But what was far, far more important was how it fed an escalating spiral of street violence. That violence helped fascists enormously. Violent confrontations with anti-fascists gave the Nazis a chance to paint themselves as the victims of a pugnacious, lawless 
left and they seized it and it worked we now know that many Germans supported the fascists because they were terrified of leftist violence on the streets Germans opened their morning newspapers and saw reports of clashes like the one in wedding it looked like a bloody tidal wave of civil war was rising in their cities voters and opposition politicians alike came to believe the government needed special police powers to stop violent leftists dictatorship grew attractive the fact that nazis themselves were for fomenting the violence didn't seem to matter one of hitler's biggest steps to dictator dictatorial power was to gain emergency police powers which he claimed he needed to suppress leftist violence this sounds exactly like trump yeah like, I keep saying this about they're trying to say it's a civil war. They're going to come in. The government's going to come in a, with martial exactly. law. It, it seems very similar. It's a playbook. It's a Nazi it's a, playbook. It's a Nazi playbook. playbook. In the court of public opinion, accusation of mayhem and chaos in the streets will, as a rule, tend to stick against the left, not the right. This was true in Germany in the 1920s. It was true even when op opponents of fascism acted in self-defense or tried to use relatively mild tactics such as heckling. It is true in the United States today where even peaceful rallies against racist violence are branded riots in the making. Today, right extremists are going around the country staging rallies just like the one in 1927 in Wedding. According to the civil rights advocacy organizations, the Southern Poverty Law Center, they pick places where they know anti-fascists are present, like university campuses, Berkeley. They come spoiling for physical confrontation, and they turn, then they and their allies spin it to their advantage. I watched this very thing happen steps from my office at the University of Washington campus. Last year, a right extremist speaker came. He was met by a counter-protest. One of his supporters shot a counter-protester. On stage, moments after the shooting, the right extremist speaker claimed his opponents had sought to stop him from speaking by killing people. The fact that it was one of the speaker's supporters, a right extremist and a Trump backer who engaged in what prosecutors now claim was an unprovoked and premeditated act of violence has never made national news. We saw this play out after Charlottesville, too. President Donald Trump said there was violence on both sides. It was an incredible claim. Hire a peaceful protester, and the 19 other people were intentionally hit by neo-Nazi driving a car. He seemed to portray Charlottesville as another example of what he has referred to elsewhere as violence in our streets and chaos in our communities, including, it seems, Black Lives Matter, which is a nonviolent movement against violence. He stirred up fear. Trump recently said that police are too constrained by existing law. Ah! President Trump tried it again during largely peaceful protests in Boston. He called the tens of thousands who gathered there to protest racism and Nazism anti-police agitators. Though later, in a characteristic about face, he praised them. President Trump's claims are hitting their mark. A CBS News poll found that a majority of Republicans thought his description of who was to blame for the violence in Charlottesville was accurate. This violence and the rhetoric about it comes coming from the administration are echoes, faint but nevertheless frightening echoes of a well-documented pattern, the pathway by which Democrats devolve into dictatorships and democracies devolve into dictatorships. There's an additional wrinkle, the Antifa. Antifa, what is that? When Nazis and whites, 
Anti-fascists. Oh. Ah, when Nazis and white supremacists rally, the Antifa are likely to show up too. Antifa is short for anti-fascists. Although the name by no means includes everyone who opposes fascism, the Antifa is a relatively small movement from the far left with ties to anarchism. It arose in Europe's punk scene in the 1980s to fight neo-Nazism. The Antifa says that because Nazism and white supremacy are violent, we must use any means necessary to stop them. This includes physical means, like what they did on my campus, forming a crowd to block ticket holders from entering a venue to hear a right extremist speak. The Antifa's tactics often backfire just like those of German, Germany's communist opposition to Nazism did in the 20s. Confrontations escalate. Public opinion often blames the left, no matter the circumstances. One solution, hold a counter-event that doesn't involve physical proximity to the right extremists. The Southern Poverty Law Center has published a helpful guide. Among its recommendations, if the alt-right rallies, organize a joyful protest well away from them well away from them ask people they have targeted to speak but as hard as it may be to resist yelling at alt-right speakers do not confront them this does not mean ignoring nazis it means standing up to them in a way that denies them a chance for bloodshed the cause heather hired um, died for is best defending defended by avoiding the physical confrontation that people who are responsible for her death want wow uh yeah, that's the thing. That's yeah. why I'm not going to protest is that I, I don't want to put my body in the way of... I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get hit by a car. I, I just really... And I don't want to I don't want to give legitimacy to their voice, especially if they're going to use it against us. Uh, I still want to punch one of the things. I know. They're, it's terrible. It's... It's, no, it's the thing is... And I, I... The thing is, like, I'm... I'm even more angry about the Republican Party because this is... This is the thing that they've always liked to talk about, how we're not racist, we're for all equal opportunity. But that right there, and by the way, the Republican Party has been racist yeah, for a long time. So this is nothing new again. But the fact of the matter, you have the, the majority of the Republican Party supporting a Nazi. Our, our, I, it, but what the, it comes down to is that our president condoned he he put blame on both sides a woman was sides. killed a woman was killed by a neo-nazi who was trying to hurt people with a fucking car during a peaceful protest that's there is no that's what they wanted to do too they, they wanted to hurt people yeah and they had that success and and th- they also were I mean he basically condoned it and yeah, said he made it okay he made it very sexy now to go ahead and be a, a fascist yeah sexy fascism and, is sexy is like, Ooh, that's a funny t-shirt <laughs> say it again fascism is sexy that'd be a fun t-shirt <laughs> yeah yeah, be a good one. <laughs> Don't give anybody any ideas. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, just like the Republican Party finds this okay. And, you know, I've always known they've been racist. But for those who are black Republicans, or even Latino Republicans, gay Republicans, sure. women Republicans, how do you how do you sit and look in the mirror? Right. I, I just don't understand. How can you accept this? Like, your party basically... Just saying, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, but just be on our side. But we don't give two rats asses about you. Like, how can you? What kind of soul do you have? How do you sleep with yourself at night? Exactly. It's I'm I'm 
it's but, crazy but you're not stuff. A racist. I'm no, not no. Racist. <laughs> uh, well, we never. Uh, so here's uh, we'll do a little gnarl real quickly before Poji calls. It's going to be exciting to hear a about the eclipse because it went straight through St. Louis, uh, and then also about just what the what the temperature is like out there politically because oh, yeah right I mean he's in, he's in Missouri um, so this is Narl thanks Governor Brown for signing historic reproductive health care law the reproductive health equity act codifies the right to access abortion in Oregon and expands access to basic care thank you Oregon Salem Oregon Governor Kate Brown made history today by signing the NARL-sponsored Reproductive Health Equity Act into law, officially codifying the legal right to abortion in Oregon for the first time in state history. NARL Pro-Choice Oregon and its members across the state worked hard to support the legislation and to ensure it made its way to the governor desk. NARL is proud to thank Governor Brown for signing this landmark legislation into law and is continuing to be an outspoken champion for women and families, said Elise Hogue, president of Gnarl Pro-Choice America. At a time when President Trump and his Republican allies are trying to restrict access to basic health care, Oregon's effort is critical to defending a woman's right to make her own health care decisions. Gnarl members couldn't be more thrilled to stand with Governor Brown and state leaders They stand up for our most, as they stand up for our most basic rights. The signing of this historic plan is a huge victory for women and families across Oregon and proof that our state is committed to ensuring women have dignity of being in control of their own lives, said Grayson Dempsey, executive director of NARL Pro-Choice Oregon. NARL Pro-Choice Oregon is proud to have partnered with the Pro-Choice Coalition of Oregon to develop this bill, which will protect the legal right to abortion in our state for generations to come. Let's move to Oregon. The Reproductive Health Care Equity Act will safeguard the right to abortion if Roe v. Wade were overturned. Protect no-cost coverage for preventative reproductive health care for every Oregonian with commercial health insurance, even if Republicans repeal the Affordable Care Act. Expand postpartum care to about 48,000 Oregonians of reproductive age who have coverage for labor and delivery that drops immediately after birth. Make safe legal abortion more affordable and accessible for about 43,000 Oregon women of reproductive age who have high deductible policies. Help more than 18,600 Oregon women of reproductive age who are forced to pay out-of-pocket costs for preventative health services, including contraception. Remove procedural barriers that hinder access to prenatal care and life-saving cancer screenings for transgender and gender non-conforming Oregonians. Sweet. That's awesome. So Thanks, Oregon. Good job, Oregon. They're, they're going to be protected. Right. Isn't this personal responsibility? Yeah, well... <laughs> You're taking personal responsibility of your body and, you know, your reproductive rights? Sure. And, I mean, the choice to decide when and if you want to have a family is a, a basic... Human right? Human right to make choices for your own life. Because we know now, as women, that we don't... We aren't forced to have babies. We get to make choices. Oh, my God, we get to have jobs. Is this Poji? Let's see. Oh, no. Choices. That's a bad thing. There he is. Uh, oh, it's old dumb face. There's old dumb face. There he is. What's hey, going on, face. gang? Got any, hey, old dumb face. You got me dialed in? Yep, you are yeah. You are dialed in to the AltaCast. We've got old dumb face Steve Poggi on the line. 
Uh, we were just talking about uh, oh racism and uh, yeah. How was the eclipse? It was a full eclipse for you, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think we were at like ninety-eight percent totality. Wow. Nice. So there was a point where it was like midway, uh, where you could look at it without having the glasses on. Wow. But it was weird because it got like the light changed so much and got so crazy that like all of a sudden there was like this weird energy going on and it made me like real anxious and uh, I don't know because you know how like your body uh, ill induced vomiting if it thinks that it's been poisoned. Oh, okay, that's deep. <laughs> Have you heard about this? No. So like, uh, like astronauts, one of the things they have to go through is nausea training because when you get up to zero gravity and you're sitting there and then someone comes floating into your peripheral like vertically your body's not used to seeing that so your body panics and thinks that it's been poisoned and its first reaction then is to make you throw up to clear out your system from whatever poisons it are you are so like yeah so like things you're not used to seeing or that you can't handle like your body automatically becomes nauseous because it's like it's like a evolutionary response. Like fuck, this crazy shit doesn't happen all the time. It's poison. Get it out of us now. So you threw up? No, no, I didn't throw up, but I definitely felt like I had like a like a spider sense, like something's wrong, something's not right. That's What's just the devil on? working. Well, I said that it's. I thought the whole thing was that um, Stephen King was going to come out and Dolores Claiborne was going <laughs> to someone was going to sit on someone's lap and their dad was going to touch him in the total eclipse. You know all the books where yeah. all that shit happens and you see through the portals of time. I was very, I was very nervous. I thought it was satanic. That's what I think. I think it was yeah. the devil's working. I don't even know what time it happened for us. Nothing changed. The light never 10, changed 15. for me. Oh, in the morning, yeah, I wasn't even awake visible? yet. Yeah, I, 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 we were seventy percent. Yeah, I didn't see um, shit. <laughs> I, I mean, I noticed I it got a little. I, I got a, it got a little dark, but it just looked like it was going to rain. Yeah. So, like, the best point out here on the West Coast was Salem, Oregon, actually, uh-huh. where they had a great view because I was watching Which on is... the live feed um, and trying to do the versus, you know, them versus us, and I'm like, well, a shit going on here. Plus, it was a little bit overcast. Yeah. Thank it was you, overcast. fog. Yeah. It was weird. So, yeah, but. Yeah, but you got so you felt you felt like your spidey senses were tingling and something special was going to happen. Yeah, man, nope. it was it was weird. Like I don't know, there was definitely a sensation of like, man, some shit feels like it's about to go down. And I was at like my house in my backyard. Like me and my mom, we just made a little lunch, ate it outside. You know, we put on the goofy glasses and looked up at it. Or put on the goofy glasses. My aunt came over. I got pictures of them looking up at the goofy glasses and everything else. So, oh, you I mean, that was that was it. You didn't stare right into it without the glasses, like our dear leader did. Yeah, our idiot, idiot, oh, yeah, idiot. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> yeah, I haven't talked to you guys since the whole uh, white nationalist thing popped up. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what's sexy. Yeah, the Nazis streets. are sexy. Fascism, fascism is sexy. Hey, before we before we get to that, I I want to tell you I have a new joke. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I did it last night uh, at the layover. So, well, I was wasted, so I don't know if the audience liked it as much as I liked it. Anyways, it's a new thing I've learned about feminism. Uh, so you can show side boob in a movie and it's still PG-13. So what I think 
is equality is I want to start seeing some side scrote, right? So like, because here's the thing, if you're in a movie and a guy's dick is hard and he cups his balls, can't we see a little side scrote? Isn't that like totally PG-13? Have that little vein pop out? Exactly. A little bit of weird, there's a little hair. There's. A, I want to see, I want to see an old man. I want to see him like, like, from behind but his butthole's covered up and he's leaning and his it's low enough like in a pool that his balls he does you can't see him and he's covering his butthole and you can't see his dick because it's hard or whatever we just see a lot of scrote from the back i feel like if you can see side boob it's only fair side scrote that side scrote is pg-13 do you agree with me poji get some i mean scrote. that sounds like a strong statement <laughs> get, get some of that beanbag action in there beanbag it's uh Beanbag action. I just, I just, I came up with it last night and people were laughing and I was going I, off on it. For some reason, good. when you were talking about older gentlemen, I kept thinking Al Pacino. I don't oh, know yeah. why. Uh, sure. <laughs> like Al Pacino scrote. Al Pacino with the bat wing scrote. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes if it's, if it's long. Scent of a sack. Scent of a sack. Well, it's, <laughs> the b- ball the, face. The thing that, the thing that I'm excited about is, is as men get older, their balls hang so much lower. So like, it's almost like a stained glass into their soul, you know, like, like if you can see the light coming through from one it's side, a, it's their version of droopy titties. Exactly. Droopy balls. Exactly. Ugh. Tea bagged. Right, but it's still it's side scrotes, just like side, side boob. Scrub. Side scrub. Make it th- make it it's happen. It's a it's a it's a brave statement. Uh, so how how are things going out there with all the um, fascism and um, white white supremacy? Uh, well, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, listening to the news out here because it's like you know with a lot of the like uh islam and like muslim stuff they're really quick to call them terrorists or muslim extremists right but it's like even if you're carrying like nazi flags you're a white national oh and it's like it's a very weird way of like using verbiage to very like downplay uh the events like if somebody's walking around with a swastika on a flag then why don't you call them nazis like instead of white nationalists wow yeah there's definitely there's definitely a feeling of uh white people feeling like they're being attacked <laughs> what, because, the white uh, people are being attacked oh lord yeah like especially like online and stuff because um you know anytime you're talking about like a race of people there's always a spectrum of the people there's the good part of the spectrum with the decent people and then there's the shitty part of the spectrum. And not only with, like, races of people, but with people with job applications, or at jobs. And there's, there's certainly good cops that, you know, want to do the right thing and follow the law. And then there's crooked motherfuckers that don't give a shit. And then you have your kind of your gray area. But whenever somebody's online and they're like, man, these white people, they're doing all this shit. And then, like, you know, dumb people that aren't capable of critically thinking are like, wait a minute, I'm white, they're talking about me. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like, the level of misunderstanding just from, like, all these buzzwords of people getting triggered. And, like, that, I think that's the big issue is it's like, stop calling them white nationalists. All those butt fucks have names. Start calling them by names. No, it's not... White nationalists, it's not neo-Nazis, it's not Skinner, it's fucking Larry, Perry, John, and Scooby. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's start uh, using some individuality instead of just using these blanket labels to try to make everything more understandable, because it just makes everything more foggy and weird. 
Yeah. And the thing is, just just like, there's, there, how, I don't understand how, as a human being, you could defend some, you know, something such as, you know, first of all, the Confederacy was about treason. Nazi, the, the Nazis tried to destroy the world. So, and you call yourself a patriot. So that, that's the funny part about it. It's just like, uh, that is actually the opposite of what patriotism is. No, okay, I do have a thing to say, though, about the Confederate, um, what are they called, um, statues that people have been taking down or whatever. It's, I, I don't agree with, I, I don't agree with obliterating them. I think they need to go. They're, not, they're going to put them in a museum. That's Good. The thing. I think they that's should what, put them in a museum. That's because what the, I plan is. It's still a piece of art. Like, it's still a cool sculpture that was made by an artisan who got paid to make this sculpture, which I'm down with that. Now, I'm not super down with the Robert E. Lee or with the, the Confederacy, but I'm down with the concept that art was being commissioned for a public space. But that's where, that's, and that's the thing that a lot of the media is not telling you. They're not destroying them, they're not blowing them up. Right, they're it's not them, like the Saddam Hussein thing. Or right, whatever. exactly. Yeah. They, they plan on putting them in a facility at a museum, just like they did in Germany. Like, in Germany, they don't have all the Nazi shit. They got rid of that. You know what they did? They put it into a National Archives Museum. So if you want to go see that Nazi shit, you can go there. Just like sure. if you if you heart racism, you're gonna to go to the Confederate Museum. Right. You right. know, be like, God damn it, I wish my great great grandpappy was here to well, have some niggers. I think that you know? it needs to be in combination with like like things from the right, like with the slavery stuff, like so that we can, because I think it is really important for kids to see the truth. To, yeah, to see like how people were transported. I mean, it's hor- people were head to toe. You know, like three hundred people on a ship, they couldn't move. They had to Thousands pee on each other. People. They had to poop on each other. But like in each ship or whatever, and they were just and they just sort of throw water on them and throw food at them, and they were rats, and it was awful. And it's like sometimes you need to sit. And make a little seven-year-old lay down next to another well, seven-year-old and be like, okay, imagine being in a ship like this that's moving for three months. Well, the Confederate statues were, the majority of them were not put up until at, way after the Civil War. Yeah, like the War. early 1900s. Yeah, the early 1900s. And that symbolized, and that, that, that's, those statues were put there to, for fear, to oh. scare to scare a to lot say of, to scare people from having it come back no to or, let you know that you are still inferior oh, we are still in charge of this this is after, this is during the reconstruction sure. of the 1870s when after slavery you started to get a lot of um african-american people in power and in government huh yes no one wants to talk about the reconstruction so this is where people took the this is how the kkk were developed um because of the reconstruction of that time sure and so then it was to fight it was to to say to again we're holding you down again and that's where jim crow came in as well sure so these statues were put up to let you know as a as a black person that uh uh-uh this this is still us. This does this country does not belong to you. You are still you are still part of that the chain. Right. You are still there. You so go back, nigger. You still are there. I want to bring scared. back octoroon. I just I think that rune I think that word is so fun. Octoroon. It's kind of like <laughs> has person, yeah. right yeah. an eighth. <laughs> if if you were an eighth black, you were an octoroon, so yeah. that you could That's <laughs> pass or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like the big thing is. You know, a lot of these statues, there's something that 
you know, to be said for not erasing the ugliness uh, that happened as far as the country being divided and going to war with itself. Like, that's something that you don't want to lose uh, the memory of, especially the reasons why these two sides went to war. But a lot of these statues don't represent, like, the hardship and the ugliness of it. They're, like, very prideful. Like, if you went to Auschwitz, you wouldn't expect a bronze statue of Hitler on a horse with his chin held high, like, gazing out over the Rhineland. Like, you know, that would be unacceptable and insensitive. But, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, I mean, there's something to be said for a guy who's like, fuck that. I believe in this way of life so much that I'm willing to die for it, to fight these people for the way that I think. Like, there's something commendable to that when you think of, you know, they didn't, like, understand racism the way that we understand it being so far removed. It'd just be like if all of a sudden, hey, you need to, it's a law now that you have to have a, you know, a a seat at your dinner table for a homeless person. You'd be like, what the fuck? I'm not letting that happen. (laughs) Well, I mean, the the thing is, Americans don't even know about their own American history. That's what the problem is right here. You know, the statues with the Confederacy, they don't know what the, they just know it's just like this guy's part of the Confederate. That's it. But they don't know anything about the story behind it when these statues were put up. You know, and I'll even tie into the whole immigration thing where people, again, don't know their American history, how they treated the Italians and the Polish and what and the Irish when they first or when they were coming in during the, the wave of the 1900s or what have you and how they were treated the same way that they're oh, treating. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is some of these white supremacists so, or these, you know, these not whatever you fucking racist. Um, some of these people have that blood, you know, the the Italian or Irish, but they're 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 treating they're treating the people the same way that they were treated, right? Not that long ago, but these are the people that don't know their history. This, this is crazy. This thing just happened in Texas. Uh, an Afri- a twelve year old African American girl was uh, subjected to months of racial insults. And uh, they called her. This is this is crazy. School officials deemed racially harassing. Finally, including students calling girl ape and slave and pretending to whip her. It was horrifying that her friends would say and do these terrible things and not think twice about it. Uh, said like her father. <laughs> we raised our daughter with the understanding that no one deserves to be treated badly by anybody. Uh, but the kids, it, it's so acceptable now that you've got twelve-year-olds. Uh, calling like and not even thinking not even thinking it's a problem uh, that another student from the same class uh, said I don't sit next to apes and moved his seat away from the girl uh, it said something to the effect of hey dad is it racist when people call a black person an ape and I asked for some context and they said they'd taken away her phone and looked up pictures of apes and said that's what she looked like oh god damn it is that crazy? God uh, uh, damn. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it is that crazy because now we have 12-year-olds that fucking commit suicide yeah. over shit that's said on Facebook and shit. Mm-hmm. Facebook right. suicide. The same female student who made the ape remark reportedly followed the girl around the tennis court with a large piece of trash pretending to whip her and saying words to the effect of, you're my slave now. Uh. 
A few months earlier, after the girl pointed out a male student as the source of a lunchtime dispute, the boy reported, it wasn't me. Are you really going to take the word of a black person over the word of a white person? Oh, there we go again. That inf- it, is that crazy? That superior... So uh, the dad got all mad because he said that the school didn't really do anything to the didn't discipline the little fucker. uh, Yeah, they. They said it's not it's not bullying. He said they didn't determine that she had a belief that she was in physical danger, so they didn't feel it was bullying. (laughs) (laughs) Calling her racial slurs, right? Going chasing her like she's like Mm, whipping her. Yeah. Yeah, that that's not that's not a form of bullying. We told her these kids learned it at home, and the school got it wrong, and she didn't deserve to be treated like that. And now we move on from here. Um, are they suing the, the school district? I don't, I don't think they are. They should. They should. Yeah, because I don't. Know, I think suing someone gets kind of tricky when you have this kid's word against that kid's word. Like you need to have like actual like video evidence. No, you don't. Right. No, you don't. If the, I mean, as someone if, that I, if you're going in Texas, you're goddamn right you do. Well, <laughs> well, when I grew up in Missouri, the same shit happened to me, but mine was more physical, where I got choked out. What at school? Yeah, I told you this story. I've told you this story. I used to go to a Catholic school in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and when I was in fourth grade, there was this. We were playing Foursquare, and I. Um, I won. This I remember his name. His name was Joshua. I hope he's dead now. Um, <laughs> he did not like the fact that I won. And so he started saying, you're a nigger. Fuck you, nigger. You didn't win. Blah, blah, blah. Mind you, I was 10 years old. So this started. This shit started early for me. Right. Um, and he, I, and I'm just like, you know, I was defending myself. Like, I, I did win. Whatever. He comes out and he pushes me on the ground and puts his arms around my neck and tries to choke me. And I do remember my friends, uh, Libby, uh, and I believe Lee was there, um, were trying to get him off and the kids around me. Um, and then... Did he get in trouble? Did he go to the principal? Oh, well, uh, yeah. But he ended up writing something on the wall after lunch where everyone could see it that says Latoya is a nigger. <gasps> oh my god. So, um so <laughs> I found sorry. out um so I remember looking at that and it, my I told my principal what was going on, what happened. Um luckily my cousin she was in 8th grade at the time cuz we were at the same school and then my friends were there that saw everything cuz it happened on the playground. And um Thank God my my grandparents, who they were, because they were prominent Catholic people that put, they were the first to integrate Catholic schools in the state of Missouri. They, you know, would give fundraisers to Catholic charities and what have you. The, my, the, the power that my grandparents had, if they didn't have that power, that little boy would probably still be there. Uh, that, I probably would have yeah. still been getting harassed or what have you. But the fact of the matter is, the boy got kicked out of all... Um, Catholic schools in the state Ooh. of Missouri. Um, he, you know, he, he was out with the quickness. But still, that very day, I still don't feel like that was enough to me because right, right. you know yeah. I don't talk. You were about, assaulted. Uh, yeah, all because of a game of Foursquare. Right. And I, you know, he was so superior 
And I was too inferior to win that game that, oh, no, this nigger bitch is not going to win. But, I mean, it, what, what, that he'd go to violence. It always, it, it always, it I'm always, confused that things just seem to go to violence. Because that's all they know. Right. They don't, they don't, they don't have, they don't have any intellect. Right, right. There's no intelligence. Well, I mean, that's with everyone. That's with stupid people. That's why politics are so volatile right now, because you get people with a simple mind where it's like, I'm right. No, I'm right because of this. And then they can't find evidence. So it's like, well, I'll, I'll fucking kick your ass. <laughs> well, just like what you were talking about a few minutes ago about like people posting stuff about white people and certain white people getting offended, thinking like, well, well they're talking about me, just like what you were saying. It's just like, no, simpleton. They're not talking about you. They're talking about the idiots that might look like you that are giving you a bad name. But you can't sure. comprehend that. Here- no, and, but... A lot of people can't. We're, we're the easy button generation to where it's like, oh, man, I have to sit down and think about this and, you know, really take a good look at this and speculate and put myself in other people's decisions. Well, fuck that. They're an idiot. I'll kick their ass. <laughs> well, I, we put in white into Google and what came out was... Uh, white supremacist white nationalist and also white walkers so uh just wondering if you've been watching the game of thrones and how you're how you're doing battle mind how you feel about the whole um dragon issues right now uh yeah no i've been watching game of thrones it's definitely uh you can tell now uh it's very clear that the writing is suffering uh, yeah. from not having George R. R. Martin's source material from the go from. Right. Because it's like, oh, man, we need to go to, you know, Dragonstone or something, and bam, we're there. Right. Like yeah, they're minutes, suddenly you know? at Eastwatch. They like, it's like they just, they uh, immediately, they just move around the world really fast now. It used to take months to get from, uh, you know, the Winterfell to to the King's Landing. It was like a three-month ride, and now they're just like showing up at Eastwatch. Yeah, like stuff would happen along the way that would also kind of add some twisting and turving. And it, it just, unfortunately, these past three seasons just feel like we're hitting the bullet point outline of the story. Right. Like, it's just like, okay, we're going to here, then they're going to talk to this guy, and then this chick's going to act like a bitch and say this to this guy, and he's going to get pissed off. And it's just all very just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, do you like how uh, they they are foreshadowing that um, Daenerys and uh, and Jon Snow are going to get it on? Yeah, supposedly that's going to happen in this next episode. Yeah, hey. Well, they're going to get it on, and then it's going to get revealed that Jon Snow is a Targaryen. Right, that it's her brother. But they love they love brother fucking brother nephew. No, they're it's he's he's her half brother. No, um, Rhaegar was her older brother, the oldest of the family. Oh, Rhaegar was her older brother. Yeah. Oh, I thought Rhaegar, that was still her dad. Her, that little bitch guy from the first season that got that shit melted on his head. Right, right, right. Her brother. Yeah. That's they went into hiding once Rhaegar got killed. Gotcha. I see. So yeah, they're so they're not. I thought that they were half brother and sister, but I was wrong. They're no, no. Yeah. They're aunt and nephew. Aunt and nephew. That's hot. Yeah. Well, they're still related, and we know Targaryens are into that. Uh, what about the? They're going to have a White Walker dragon. That's kind of fun. Dragon v yeah. dragon. I mean, he he killed that dragon so easily. It was yeah. almost like they had like fucking dragon missiles just waiting. 
Right. Just I was reading some hardcore speculation stuff about Bran. Uh, so one of the theories that I've been reading is that so when you go back into the history, humans and the children of the forest were having this big war, right? And the children of the forest were outnumbered, so they created the White Walkers. Right. Uh, but then the children of the forest and the humans made a treaty, and then they all kind of turned against the White Walkers during the long night. So one of the speculations is is that uh, the guy that, remember when uh, Brant was the Three-Eyed Raven, and you see that rocket shoved in that guy's chest, and he turns into the Night King? Right. Supposedly, they're saying that uh, that guy was actually Aegon the Conqueror or whatever from that fable. Oh. They couldn't control the White Walkers, so he sacrificed himself to become the Night King to just basically lead them away up into the north and let the wall be built. Uh Aha. So he's he's a helpful guy. Well, then there's speculation that Bran goes back into time and becomes that Aegon guy and, like, wards into him and then uses himself to sacrifice himself so that this could happen. But then he gets he goes too far back in the time and gets stuck there. Uh-oh. And so, like, through this convoluted kind of way, the Night King is actually Bran. Right. Because Bran's named after the guy that built the Great Wall, who was Bran the Builder. And like something like one of the big plot reveals is going to be how Bran fits into all of this. And it might come out that like Bran is actually like the reason why everything happened. Uh, well, because he is, but he's the beginning and the end. He has all the knowledge because he's the three eyed raven. He and has all the, the past and the future. He has, he knows all of it. <laughs> he lives everywhere. He is all, he is all and knowing, all seeing. Like the guy that he went to talk to. That guy wasn't actually a three-eyed raven. He was just someone who had mastered this magic in preparation for Bran because Bran's a three-eyed raven and he had to teach him all of this stuff. Well, it's getting meta as fuck. It is. I it's don't understand a do you, goddamn thing. Do you not watch? You don't, watch, don't watch the Thrones. I don't oh, watch Gott. Oh, you don't watch the I don't Thrones. Watch Gott. How I just, do you not do that? I, I what do just, you do with your life? I just, you know, because I watch other shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. But thing is, like, I every week it's just like I, I'm noticing everyone is they're so into it. Like even like I can't run away from it. Like I've tried watching a couple episodes. Um, I, I'm not going to start watching because I'm. It's you guys are far too deep into it. Right, and we're in I'm, season seven. Yeah, we're you're on done season here. seven, yeah. and the, I can understand what the hoopla is. Um, but yeah, lions and tigers dragons. and dragons and shit. Yeah. I know what well, the I, I know what the red wedding was about, and I don't even watch the show. Yeah, that's it's a good one. more of like it's more of like check like the show like the first season is basically like you're learning how to play chess. You're learning all the rules that are placed. You're learning what the board is right. and where the main pieces are. And then from there, that board constantly gets altered and, like, no character is safe. Like, you, a lot of times you'll watch a movie or a show and some scary predicament happens, but you're like, you know what? They're not going to kill off fucking Spider-Man. He's not in any danger. <laughs> Whereas in this, you're like, there's no way they're going to kill... Okay, that guy's dead. <laughs> Oops, that that's guy's called dead. good writing, man. Yeah. Well, and now that's the problem. Now that they're out of, they're out of the books. They've, 
the books are done. Now they're starting. And now to they're just it. sort of writing on top of it with the same ideas, and they're forwarding. Now that it's not, it's just not as good. So, so it's what now it sounds it like. Now it feels like a hit TV show. Yeah, now yeah. it seems it's a hit TV show. See, I think it's because I used to watch True Blood, and I I did read a couple of the books, um, not all of them, but just like I was a big fan of True Blood and we would have these discussions afterwards but then after like the fifth and sixth season I'm like okay this is some bullshit right like where's the writing I'm like now now you're just writing shit because it was not they're off the books yeah you're talking about I, I never saw True Blood fairies that was... and all this I'm like what is this fairy shit no uh Steve, have you watched The Leftovers yet? It's another... Um, I've, I saw two ep- or two seasons of that. It's another... I'm on season two right now. You are. It's an HBO thing yeah. I just found, and I'm like, this is fucking yeah. good. Yeah. The, it, well, there's a there's a Netflix show called Ozark that takes place... Watch it. The Ozark. That's a great show. I I, Jason I Bateman's in it, right? Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm it's on just, third episode. I can't watch any, any TV. Like, Game of Thrones I've watched for so long. I'll watch Game of Thrones. Uh, Walking Dead I'm kind of tired of I, I just I got to the point where I was watching so much Netflix trying to kill time <laughs> that like I was in the middle of Sons of Anarchy but the problem with these older TV shows is they repeat everything constantly because they weren't used to people binge watching right Yeah. right so with Sons of Anarchy it's like every episode it's like what are you doing man I'm doing this for the club no you're not you're not doing it for the club <laughs> I, I love that. It's a soap that. opera. I, I love that show. It is a soap opera. All of it, it's a show, soap opera. A show I got into recently, it's on Stars. It's called Power, and um, which is a damn good show. Um, it's it's on its fourth season, so the writing is still good. But I've noticed after five seasons of something or six seasons, the writing just starts to yeah. It, things start to get sex in the city. Oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. When uh, the story just gets stupid, let's see if Carrie gets married. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And hey. Mr. Big. And I, I don't know if I can make my decision about Mr. Big. Yeah, I was so bored about that. In the but yeah, yeah. By the fourth season, I'm like, okay, we get it. Steve, how's your comedy going? It's going really good, actually. I uh, I went through a phase where it wasn't like uh, I was like depressed or not creative. I was just kind of dispelled. Like, what's the point of trying to work on this to get stuff going? And uh, some crazy shit happened, and I was just like, I need something to focus on and work on. Um, so now I'm I'm writing a new hour. I'm oh, about nice. 20 minutes into it. Uh, I've got some headlining bookings that came through. I thought one club wasn't going to work me anymore because I had to cancel on them uh, when I was working, when I had to go back to help fucking dumbass dad. <laughs> and uh, they, they booked me again to headline. Cool. So, nice. Yeah, I'm going to, I think with my the special that I'm editing now, I'm either going to take the whole thing and just say fuck it and put it on YouTube. Oh. Uh, or I might make like a power version of it that's maybe uh, like 20, maybe 30 minutes instead of the full hour and put that out on YouTube and be like, hey, if you like that, there's another half hour. That's stuff. a good idea. That's a better buy idea. The, the DVD. But just, I, I want to put more content out there so yeah. that people can become familiar with me and what I'm doing. I think what you just said is like putting like just 20 minutes out there. You you want them to want more, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and especially when it's like, you're going to see some stuff and then you're not going to come to a show and see the same thing. Right. Absolutely. 
you know i think that's a better idea rather than just putting the whole hour out you know keep them wanting more man are you gonna come back for the mutiny third annual mutiny radio comedy festival sponsored by spark check this out spark called me they i sent him an email and they said oh we definitely want to give you a thousand dollars but they said nice. do you have anything higher can we give you more money so today oh. i have to write together a proposal to ask for five grand and be like it'll be the spark presents the third annual mutiny radio comedy festival it'll oh. be like spark above everything Every, yeah yeah because they he's like get me a package and i'll send it to my COO because they want to give you more than a thousand dollars and I'm like oh thanks well props to Spark yeah so one of the one of the best ways to do that is that really opens up your budget for getting comics to come out there well Um, you know what it does though it opens up my budget for either bigger name comedians but not even that just I can actually run an ad like I can run a real ad. I can actually put something on the bus. Put maybe? something on. Well, the bus I was going to do illegally anyways, but um, I can actually pay to have an ad in like the you know the Chronicle, whatever. Yeah, the Chronicle or the SF Gate, or I can have actual money to promote as opposed to having to use all free platforms. So sure. that would be. Exciting. Well, you do, you do it the end of February, beginning of March, don't you? It's going to, actually, I'm keeping the dates March 1st through 5th. This year, I'm going to, it's going to be a Thursday through a Monday. Because instead of a Wednesday through a Sunday, I realized, like, my joke workshop, like, fuck my joke workshop. But um, it just, it gives me two extra hours that I don't, it, last year when I was done, I still had to do joke workshop on a Monday, and I was like, fuck this. So it just makes more sense to me to have and comedians don't care and I don't think the audience is going to care I think that we might actually have if the last day of the festival is a Monday we might actually have really good attendance that's true because yeah, you have a lot of people in the service industry that work bars and stuff sure like that. yeah mm-hmm. all my all my all my people all my bartender Word. friends but so yeah I'm already getting I'm I'm together this year I'm getting money ahead of time uh, for the, so I don't freak out in January this year. I'm going to try to get, Pam's freak out. But it's freak out, but I'm going to actually get enough money up front that it's, it's not a problem. Are you, are you, what about your other, uh, internet podcast station places? Are those still up and running? I thought one of them was in trouble with my clothes. Um, Radio Valencia lost their lease, so they're going to have to move out of their space, but I don't know where they're moving to. Um, FCC free, I mean, they're, they actually were supposed to have their first annual comedy festival, but oh, it, they're not actually. They had to cancel that event. Oh, gee, I wonder why. Shade. Yeah, they did. They canceled that event. I don't think that they had enough people apply, and I don't think that he had any idea what he was doing. And they don't even really. I mean, they have a performance space, but it's like in the basement of that building, and people can't really like get in there. You have to. The door guy has to let you in, and there's this weird like elevator, and you go downstairs and. I mean, it's a big space, but it's just people complain that they can't find Mutiny Radio. And I'm like, how are you going to find this, like, basement? Like, <laughs> right, dwelling. Right. So, anyways. And not that I wish them any ill will, but I kind of thought it was shady that they wanted to run their a comedy festival. I'm like, there's already a radio comedy festival, and it's called the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Well, don't they say no, that it was, it was September. the best form of flattery? I guess that's, you know, they, that's what they say. Well, you know, but things things are looking up here. Like things are good. We um, lost a couple shows, but getting a few more, and 
the thief returned all the money, so that was all good. And oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was he? Did he come in and own up, or did it just appear? No, he. Well, I had to confront him because we found we saw him on the camera. I had I had I saw him take it and I saw him walk out with a fistful of cash. So you know, I confronted him with the police there and everything. Um, but he ended wow. up. He went to rehab and then he gave us all the money back. So that's nice. Yeah. I still told him. Where's, I said, uh, "Has Paul Sanford been around?" Uh, he came a couple weeks ago to a joke workshop, but not too much thank goodness he's been suppressed well he just hasn't been around here i mean he didn't he came to joke workshop a little while back but it it doesn't help him because he doesn't listen to anybody like every time he comes to joke workshop we say ditch the fucking cards give everyone (laughs) a break and just ditch the fucking cards or curate your cards and bring them up on stage and hold them up yourself and put them in whatever order but you know what would be better if you just memorize your fucking act like just remember, just the gimmick. The thing is, the gimmick used to work before, but I'm like, and he's like, it works when I do it. And I'm like, yeah, but no one wants to book you because you're stupid cards. I'm like, I'm just telling you. He's like, I think it's funny. And I'm like, well, that's great. And you can keep doing that. But just letting you know, the cards don't work for me. You know, it's like, I don't like the cards. I just want you to mem- I just want you to write jokes and then memorize them like a regular comedian. And then he'll take that I mean, and be like, I don't want to be a regular comedian. Whatever. <laughs> I tried to tell him, like, look, man, like, that stuff is great if you're doing an open mic that has, like, 30 people on it because it's an easy way for you to stand out to be like, oh, hey, there's the card guy. But at the same time, it's like, to work professionally, nobody's going to want to see a half hour of fucking cards. Right, exactly. No, like, for a real, yeah, it's, 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 you're right, it's cute for five minutes. And that's it. Then, but there has to be. I mean, and that could be a part of his act. So, the, but the gimmick, in other words, the gimmick's not working. Not the, for me. Yeah. So when he not funny. when he comes to joke workshop and he's got his stupid cards, I'm like, pull out the cards that you want to work on. Tell us those jokes, and let's work on those jokes. But it just doesn't. When everything's constantly random and you don't know what you're gonna get, like that might be helpful for him and his process. But it's it's like, all right, so use it as a process and move on. Like yeah. use that as a way to to generate ideas and then create jokes and because it, it just he says, oh, it connects me to my audience. I'm like, no, it distances you from your audience. Yeah, because you're a raving six foot tall lunatic. <laughs> well, plus screaming at people. Well, yeah. plus whenever you're reading something, especially on stage, you're not making eye contact. That's number one. As any performer, you want to make eye contact with your audience. I'm, I mean, especially. I mean, unless you're Jeff and I, or unless not Jeff and I. Who was the guy who was autistic? Jesse something. Anyways, he had, he never made eye contact. He always just stared at the ground, and people would laugh and laugh. But I think that he has a touch of the autism. Well, <laughs> right, he's on the spectrum. He's on the yeah. spectrum. Yeah, well, if he if he's on the movie special side, then I can understand yeah, that a right. little bit more. But he, he is a funny guy, whoever the autistic guys. But Paul Sanford, not so much. I mean, he is. That's the thing is he is funny. It's just that it's gimmicky. It's like Steve will tell you, Steve will tell you that you know your material is just a conduit so that the audience can know who you are and like you as a person yeah that's why it's like and the same thing with a lot of these comics like they had that uh that tv talent show where the comic the guy with the stutter uh won a bunch of shit but everyone hated on him because that guy was like stealing jokes left and right but it's (laughs) like 
No, like a stuttering comic. Like, that's that's cool for, like, three or four minutes. But a half hour of stuttering right. comic? Yeah. An I, hour of yeah. stuttering comic? Right. Like, uh, I don't, I don't, I get pissed off when a CD skips, let alone right. you're puttering through an hour. Yeah. Well, I mean... Gal- just like Gallagher was funny after he smashed a couple of watermelons, but if watching that shit for an hour is fucking boring. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it just gets boring. Right. Like, all right, cool. It's the same thing with like, um, <laughs> although I don't, maybe I disagree with what I was going to say about Bobcat Goldthwait when he screams or when like Sam Kinison would just scream. It's like. It got old. Right. It got old. You well, can't. the thing, like Sam Kinison's like a lot of comics will tell you like his first CD or his first special was one of those most masterpiece things of comedy but after that like when the drugs started kicking and the writing stopped it just became him screaming doing fucked up shit right. Right. but that was enough for the audience to stick around the same way hey I'll throw out this joke it doesn't work we'll get her done hey. uh, oh, uh, I hate that shit uh, oh my god cable guy or uh, uh, not cable guy people? is yeah, Larry, Larry the, Larry, Larry the cable uh, guy I want to stab myself in the eye when I hear that shit well I mean but the, it gets to a phil- philosophical point of like they have to know who you are like I guess if you have a gimmick it at least makes you recognizable to the public they're like oh that's the comic that you know yeah I mean I, I get it but the shit gets old like I, I guess we we did come from the era of gimmick comics like I mentioned Gallagher Andrew Dice Clay Sam Kinison Bobcat like all those right. but, by, but they did it for so long to the point where it's just like uh, hickory dickory duck this chick is sucking my, my cock, cock. <laughs> yeah blah 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 you know, we get it yeah. little Bo Peep lost her fucking sheep blah 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 right. it's just like yeah it was funny for about five minutes and then it's just like okay can we try something new because then you get pigeonholed and you get stuck right and then that's when well, the that's creativity the goes out the door because you have all these dunderheads that can't think that are like yeah hit the watermelon all right yeah i hit a watermelon at home <laughs> like that's 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 the majority of the people are these fucking you know they're the reasons why you have to have signs that say like don't smoke around a gas pump <laughs> Right. That's true. Yeah. That's that's real. You can't drink it. Shit. Yeah. Hey. But like, <laughs> that affects the comedy. That's that's one thing now that I'm doing and writing this new hour is I have to write more complex shit to keep me interested in it, to keep my risk factor going, to keep it exciting. Like if I know it's gonna work, then what's the fucking point of doing it? I know right. it's gonna work. It's not fun. It's a job. This. Yes. But, and trying to juggle more complex ideas, you realize, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get everyone. Not everyone's going to like this. Right. Right. Well, that's the same thing with my abortion material. I mean, the other day I did it and everyone in it killed, but then I did it, I did it at the, it was actually, it was, it was, I never have a bad set at Brainwash and I did because they didn't like the abortion material. They just turned on me. They were like, for whatever happened they didn't like dead babies that night and (laughs) and uh it was like whoa i was like i lost you guys and i just asked him i'm like wow i haven't lost an audience with the abortion joke since like santa rosa i mean (laughs) and and that's the thing it's just like you're not gonna get everybody like i say some racist shit and i know i rant but i know sometimes my rants can be funny (laughs) 
but sometimes they can't. But, <laughs> but also, I mean, but, it's hard when you're doing something and someone goes, okay, we're going to give you, you're going to do five shows, we're going to give you $1,000. And then you in your head, you're like, okay, well, I know I'm doing stuff that not everyone is going to like. But is the stuff that I'm doing going to be liked well enough by enough people that it'll hit them on a different level? Like, that's the difference between playing it safe. I can go to anywhere in the country and I can do great and I can kill the room because I've got enough material that I've done for so long that I know it's not stepping on anybody's toes. It's not challenging any ideas. It's not talking bad about anybody. Well, I mean, the giant bird is pretty funny. Yeah, dude, that thing grew to a whole new level. That thing grew out of control. I was... A giant bird, <laughs> or my, I, I like your other joke. If would you still love me if I lost an arm? No, there's a lot of clapping in my line of work. <laughs> you lose an arm? No, it's very funny, yeah. Poochie joke. And I've done that show where there was a girl there without an arm. Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> I don't know why that just made it funnier. That, it does, yeah. yeah. Would you still love me? No. It's <laughs> a lot of clapping in my line of work. But I mean, that's, I think audiences have gotten really, over the years, have gotten really, really simple to where they don't want to think anymore. They, they'll either have the, your phone tell you or the internet tell you, or they'll just, you know, there's a lot of followers. There's a lot of sheep. Well, it's, it's when... And I see comedians have their specials or whatever, and then they talk about TV in their jokes. I'm like, you lazy motherfucker. You can't connect with your audience, so you have to take someone else's idea and connect with your audience through someone else's idea by talking about whatever stupid TV show. Seriously? Like, (laughs) you can't come up with your own idea. You have to take someone else's idea and then talk about that, and that's how you connect with them? Really? Kind of I don't know. I've, it's pretty lazy. I've seen, but I've seen comics from LA at the punchline or whatever. I've paid money for shows or whatever, even before I was a comedian. And I was just like, really? This is what they're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I like, I, I like to try to be a little more challenging with my. That, material. That's why it's like if I if I watch a comedian, and in the first five minutes, number one, if you open up with, hey. I know what you guys are thinking. I was like a fucking porpoise and a hamburger. Or like some shit about like how you look. Oh, right, 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 right. I can't take it. That's the stupidest shit ever. And the second thing is, is people trying to communicate who they are with these one simple words. Like, you'll watch a comic and the first two minutes will be like, so I'm gay, or I'm Jewish, or I'm this, or I'm that. And it's like, you're just trying to be like, hey, if you're Jewish, I'm Jewish, and you should like me already. You should, I'm your guy, I'm your comic. Right. Like, and, and it's just, there's so much simplistic bullshit to it that I just can't stomach it anymore. Because especially when you watch some of the younger comics who are just getting break, they're trying so desperately to say something that's acceptable that it's just kind of taken all the teeth out of it. You everything. mean PC? There's no, like, edginess is supposed to be like you're pushing the limits, but you're making it okay. Whereas I was in Springfield, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before that, and some guy's hosting, and he just comes out and be like, yeah, you know, if you're on your period, I'll fuck you. And it's like, <laughs> okay, what? see, see that's, that's where I don't like, you know, when men, especially men, please don't come out with a dick joke 
please don't let that be the first thing that you say. So, hey, so my dick's this big, or hey, my dick, I'm turned off. Because I love <laughs> no, dick see, jokes. That's with everybody. Like, even, like, when you first watch females do comedy, they're fucking horrible. <laughs> They'll come out and be like, oh, man, I stuck a fucking broomstick in my pussy because I'm a witch. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really funny joke. That's a really funny joke. Or the like the super super attractive chick that gets on stage and she's like, Yeah, I can't find anybody today. Shut the fuck up. Are you kidding me? You can just be like, raise your hand if you want to go on a date and look at a room of thirsty comics raise both arms like you kiss a field goal. Like Oh I mean but new comics, they're just fucking they just do stuff that's like trying to be shocking because for some reason there's like stuff you're not supposed to say in a conversation and they can't wait to fucking I comb in my grandma's hair you're like oh my god <laughs> they go they put the thing is as I do remember this structure from what I learned when I did improv was do not always play on the dirty because that's mm. that's it's a, it's so simple to go there do ne- never just go out and play on the dirty if you're going to play on the dirty there's a there's an art form in the way to do it because you are going to lose your audience if you just play on the dirty it's it's and that's one thing i've always tried to like not do constantly but you know again i my my shit's a little bit more political and dark you know but i sure. rant <laughs> right i'm rant because i'm angry and I guess me being angry is my shtick. We, I, I don't know. We have, we have three minutes left. I'll tell you what I'm angry about. I'm angry that uh, Arya in Game of Thrones is falling for Littlefinger's shit. Can you believe how dumb she's being? She's like the oh, no. best assassin oh, in the no. whole fucking world. She can best Brienne of Tarth. And now fucking, she's like, oh, Littlefinger, he's totally, I hate my sister now. Fuck you, whoever's the writer, ruining my favorite character. Wait till the next episode, man. I'm telling you. I got insider trading information, man. <laughs> that something's going to happen it's with... It's all a game. It's all a game. Well, yeah, because, of course, it's all a game. You think that she's, you know, she knows? No, she doesn't know. Arya's... Are you kidding me? This bitch can put on other people's faces that's and true. walk around like she's that person. Yeah, that's... And that's oh, why I'm saying that it sucks she's that... talking to kill that chick, put her face on. She walks around with a bag full of faces. Yeah, it's just... Uh, okay, so something might happen. Anyways, I was bummed out that yeah. it seems like she's falling right into the trap. It's a I trap! Wondered, did, you, did you go see the tower, Dark Tower? No, I haven't seen that yet. Did that open? Yeah. It, it's open, it's out, and it's absolute hot garbage. <laughs> hot garbage? <laughs> It's it's dog shit. You're telling me that my my one of my least favorite Stephen King novels turned into a movie as a pile of dog shit. I can't <laughs> believe that. They crammed seven books into one movie. They really did. They, they crammed all seven books into one movie. That's impossible. Oh, dude, it's, it's atrocious. The the thing that I'm kind of getting into now is the uh, I like the idea of Stephen King's universe. How everything happens in the same thing, and then there's like connectors to other stuff throughout the books right like different books like books that don't have anything will have shared characters and stuff sure 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 really Salem's like Lot they've got the they've got the Father Callahan from Salem's Lot and they've got yeah yeah and the Red King symbols and then sure. the, the Crimson King that's, that's yeah. so interesting yeah I like that I'm down 
Well, uh, Stephen King has a new book that came out with Richard Chismer called uh, Gwendy's Button Box, which is really good. I just finished that. And then coming out on September 24th is the book he co-wrote with his son, Sleeping Beauties. So Owen King, his son, and he oh, co-wrote wow. a book much like he did the, the um, Talisman with Peter Straub. Nice. What is, so, what is your favorite out of the, the King selection? If you had to pick like your top three. I would say Gerald's Game, which unfortunately they're turning into a TV show, which is terrible because Don't it's all... Don't ever turn Stephen King novels yeah, into TV shows. Well, and it's a first-person internal journey about That's a woman, a and it's idea. like, it all takes place pretty much in one room. So the concept that they're going to turn this into a miniseries is insane to me, but whatever, the book is great. So Gerald's Game is, is up there in my top. I also, I have to say, Insomnia is probably, it's one of the best ones. And, um... The one with the JFK, the uh, the 63, 11, 22, 63, oh, is, those back, are my, uh, I would say, are my top three. I, I got to say, though, Insomnia was really good, but, um, and long and great and about old people and, and it got weird. And, and the characters from the Dark Tower are in there, too, Clothius and... Was he snipped this thing, anyways? But um, Dude, speaking of JFK, if you go on YouTube, you can see like a super zoomed in slow motion shot of that dude getting his fucking watermelon popped. Wow! Like, I mean, it was like they hit him with a fucking grenade. <laughs> well, and you wonder where if still unsolved. Yeah, still unsolved. If it was really still how, how, how that all. There's a there's a new UFO documentary on Netflix. I loved it, Stan. Out. I believe Stan. Yes, yes, I saw it. No, and when the gray that pops, bag, that guy's a liar and he diddled kids. <laughs> no, you guys called, talked about uh, this the last time. <laughs> oh no, it, 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 it's it's just new. It's in three acts, and uh, it's called like undocumented or something. I can't remember what it is, but it's about all these like. U.S. Air Force officials and these military guys that are like, no, like, UFOs are fucking real. And, like, they come out with all this information and how, uh, like, there's a group of, like, there's this government organization that not even the president knows about because they view the president as just a temporary employee since he's only around for, like, you know, four years at minimum. Uh, So, like, he doesn't even know about half of the shit that they do, but, like, it gets really deep into, like, the media games that they play and how they try to real hard to make people look like kooks so that way, like, if the informa- like if you have an experience, there's nothing you can really do with that information because everyone's just... Because everybody thinks you're insane. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, it's really, really good. It's, it's called Undocumented. I, I, I'll, I'll watch it. So the other movie that just came out on Netflix um, is actually uh, written and uh, stars the Wakeman sister's cousin. So it's called Donald Cried, and the main character, his name is Jesse Wakeman. He plays it, and he wrote it with his friend, and it's really good. You should watch that movie. Um, wow. And we, Jonathan and I downloaded it before we even knew that it was the Wakeman sister's cousin or whatever and they said oh our our cousin's movie finally got on Netflix and I'm like what is it called she goes oh Donald cried and I'm like oh I already downloaded that I wanted to see it anyway and then it's really good so I'm going to email him and see if I can get to interview him on the on the station because it's a really good movie anyways go see Donald cried I will check that out okay cool yay Poji was nice to talk to you we gotta go good talking to you guys sorry I couldn't call in earlier I'll catch you next week maybe right, yay Poji bye bye
All right. Well, that's the AltaCast. That is the end. For the day. And uh, we did it. We did another one. Uh, thanks to Steve Poggi for calling in. Thanks, as always, to LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, my co-host, for being here every week. Whoa. Good luck getting home and doing all your shiznit today. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Fun times. Good times. Uh, coming up next, Some Call Me Tim with special guest Damian Harmony, comedian, here to talk about God or gods or cats or aliens or whatever. So, because it's Some Call Me Tim, we'll be doing that. Thanks again for joining us. Bye.
tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it.